Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Fred Schenkler. Hey, Carl. Hey, Fred. Yeah, I've been uh, thinking about a topic uh, that uh, uh, hits me almost every day. It's sort of something I'm really passionate about. And I'm and in it's it's an area of growth. So it's not an area that I figured everything out, but it's just a fascinating topic, which is how do you transfer knowledge from one person to another? Hmm. And what are the mechanisms that that are important to convey your knowledge to someone else or in the reverse process to gain the knowledge from someone other than you? Yeah, this is pretty germane because we're, you know, as you know, Carl, we're working on a chapter about um, how to learn, how to ask questions, how to, you know, be effective in communicating in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways, reasons we have to communicate so well is to, uh, what are the main issues that the rest of the team's facing that's going to affect reliability and vice versa? How do we bring our reliability engineering skills such that it influences other people and their decisions and help to make a better product. Um, so knowledge transfer, from the way you just phrased it, is not just a class. Right? No. It's not, did you pass the test? <laughs> no, it's, it's really infuses into just about everything we do, especially in our field, mm-hmm. because our field influences a lot of different disciplines in engineering. And in management, and if we can, if we really get good at transfer of knowledge, then we're going to be more effective in doing our job. And, and let me just also start this topic with a little story. I've uh, been teaching reliability on outside of the career I had in General Motors for about 20 years, and reliability and FMEA and associated topics, and. Almost all of that until COVID was in person. Mm-hmm. And I was like one of these real stubborn people. I said, I'm never going to teach remote. And I do remember because, that, trying to get yes. you to do an online class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because I really love the interaction with people. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it energizes me. I'm in a room with people and I get to know them, get to know what they want. Uh, understand body language. They they learn from me. I learn from them. It's a really a wonderful interaction. Yep. And so when COVID hit, I did a deep dive into teaching and instruction, which comes down to knowledge transfer, and realized it can be done remotely. Yes, but you have to have good quality audio, good quality video. Uh, in, in essence, you're in the room with people in a virtual environment. And you do all the things that work in person, but you bring them into remote. So I learned a lot about knowledge transfer when I was doing that research. Well, you also have the advantage of having 20 years or so or longer of, of teaching, essentially interacting with other people face to face. So when yeah. you're in the room by yourself, you can bring the other, the student, the expected student to mind and it can acknowledge they're essentially there, but it's imaginary. 
and, and that affects how you teach and how you present material. But if you're just reading the script and there, you have no comprehension of where the sticking points commonly are or what, you know, you can imagine somebody giving you a quizzical look and asking a question. If you don't have that capacity, then it's really hard to do it online. I think you're right. You're right. And then so you that's certainly a, almost a price of entry to doing well online, what you're describing. Mm -hmm. The uh, I'm thinking and this is thinking out loud with you, Fred. So I really want to hear your thoughts as well. The uh, the part of the a person's confusion or gaps to having the knowledge. So let's say you're teaching someone Here's a silly example: teaching a child how to how to tie a shoe, mm -hmm. and not an easy skill to learn. First time, you got to watch and practice that type of thing, mm -hmm. and there will always be a little bit of confusion. You really have to try it out on your own. There's no way to just tell. You don't to have the person in the room and say, "Okay, here's what you do," and then they go off and do it. Right. You actually try it out. You go, "Wait a minute, why do you do this?" And it's a back and forth interaction involving some exercises. To me, that's the way knowledge is, a lot of knowledge is transferred, is because the instructor has to understand that there's a gap somewhere and, and there's confusion that you have to sort of blow through or, or move through to gain the skill. And that's where, uh, and so what, that's why knowledge transfers so little about telling and so much about questioning. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, Diana and I just, we were recording a, a yesterday or a day before, um, and we were talking about how training sticks. And, and it was a very similar point. It was the idea that it's it's not that you read the book and you go do it. I mean, and some people can learn that way and some people make progress that way, but they go try it and then go back to the book and what did I miss? Or call the author yeah. and say, well, yep. how come this isn't working? You know, or, or software's not doing what you expect. So you get a hold of support, you know, those kind of things, which is reinforcing that concept of questioning. But part of it was, is that it was a real good knowledge transfer is, um, and I use this reference back to one of the, uh, um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, where he cites 10,000 hours of, of practice, which gets misquoted all the time. You don't just practice something for 10,000 hours and you're an expert, <laughs> right? No, it's um, deliberate practice where you try it and you have a coach or somebody you trust that's, that's saying, well, move just a little, your stance a little to the left. Or in, in our world, it's like, you know, one of the things in facilitating that meeting is be aware of this or maybe watch out for those rat holes that engineers love to go down and it's wasting a bunch of time. You know, here's the signal for that or try to, here's a way to catch it. But it's specific feedback. It's like tying the shoe. It's like, oh, no, this is where the rabbit goes around the tree first. Then, <laughs> I, yeah. you know, yeah. it's it. but you watch them, you say, here's how to do it. You show them how to do it, do it slow. They try it and you go, okay, pull it a little tighter and it'll stay longer, you know, or it's this, that little touch mm -hmm. that comes from experience that says, well, here's the next thing you need to do to make it better. And if somebody's doing, um, say a data analysis, right. And they pull up a plot that it says, all right, well now plot the points, the data points on the, the regression line that you have. Let's see 
whether it's even reasonable or not. But that question or that little bit of advice enhances their ability to do regression analysis as opposed to say, oh, you've missed something. Go back and read the book. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think that's what you're getting at is that it's a, a bit of coaching, a bit of uh, a person wants to get feedback from whatever source, but they're out seeking for it. So I think it's both pieces have to fit. Well, yeah, and, and, and part of this, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, the importance of setting the the environment mm -hmm. uh, when you're when you're in a class or or when you're anywhere, if you're talking one on one with something, mm -hmm. but making it safe for people to not understand something, to admit that they don't understand it, and that's so key because you're not going to learn something that you don't know that's right. unless you recognize and and sort of admit to yourself and possibly to others that you don't know it, and then you can then you can learn it. Well, that's very true. It's it's one of the things I ran into in it back to this chapter I'm working on, on, on learning is part of it is recognizing that you're not the master at regression analysis, you know, and, yeah. or, or if you've never done that before, if you didn't never had a class on it or never been exposed to it before or, or really used it at work, then at some point you're not even aware that you don't know that. Right. And somebody says, Oh, you should do a regression analysis and you go, Oh, what's that? And oh, Google well. <laughs> it. Now you're consciously incompetent. You know, you don't know how to do it, mm -hmm. which is a really good place to start as learning is to acknowledge that, you know, I don't really know this. Let me go try it. And that's, I think that the safe space is you are allowed to go try it. I, I don't need to do the perfect PhD level thesis on regression analysis to solve this problem right on the first try. I don't think that's right. going to happen. Um, right. but then you go into where you, you know, that you're getting it and you're getting feedback saying, yeah, you're on the right track. It's working. Use this good analysis, but you have to th overthink it all the time. And then eventually like your example with the tying the shoes, you do it and you don't even think about it. You just tie your shoe. No, you, it just, it's mechanical muscle memory, whatever. It just happens. That's it, right. And <laughs> so that part is called, uh, unconsciously competent and the, and so you don't even know that you're good at it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, you just do it. You just are good at it. <laughs> right. And, but the hard part is that when you have somebody that doesn't know, they don't know it. And you come in and say, Hey, it's time for you to learn to tie your shoe. You just do it this way. Well, yeah. and then it, it, if they're sitting in a class, that type of person, they're the ones that are going to be working on their, their cell phone while you're teaching or doing something else or chatting with the neighbor. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I, when I'm teaching let's say the subject of FMEA. I've learned this years ago. I'll teach a principle, have people uh, practice it, but then I'll watch as they describe it or watch as they apply it. Mm -hmm. And if you have the right environment, it, it's very possible they might make a mistake, which is really good. Mm -hmm. you, that, that's part of the learning. Right. And then, then you have to be a good coach and you, and you, you, you make it okay. It's okay to make a mistake and uh, do it the wrong way and then coach them through and then they do it again. And until you get to that aha moment where they've, they've had a problem with it, now they understand it and they understand the principle and they can do it. Uh, you don't really have the, what, what you called earlier, the, the stickiness, the one where you can, you can do it again and again. Right. And so it's a process of learning and that's what uh, that's what I've been working on is what is this process of learning? What's the process of knowledge transfer? Uh, I'll mention one other thing is is it part of this I've been studying 
from other people. One of them is Plato. Plato talks about adopting, as an instructor, adopting an ignorant mindset, which is where you as instructor look puzzled and you turn to the student and you say, well, how should this work? Right. And then they have to tell you as the instructor, how it should work. And then you can coach them through it. <laughs> yeah, I found that some some students really don't like that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's cultural or they're just looking for the grade or it's ingrained in us from school that you need to learn these, you memorize these things and regurgitate them on a test later. I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of barriers culturally to teaching that way because is what, wait a minute, you want us to think? And some people really appreciate it. So I found that one to be, I get some resistance to going, well, wait a sec, you're the expert. Just tell us what to do. And I understand. I'm, yeah. And I'm like, no, you, um, if I just tell you how to do it, you're not going to learn it. You need to struggle with this. You need to think it through. You need to make this is one instructor I ran into years ago. She said, you need to make this part of your muscle. You know, you, yeah. it needs to be in like tying your shoe. It just needs to be built in. And you can't get there by me just saying, oh, it's A, then B, then C. It's easy, right? Go for it. No. No, <laughs> it's no. It's not going to work. And, and you're right that there may be a cultural aspect to it. It's worth the effort to to persist no matter what the um, the attitude is of the student or what their habits are, what their their knowledge learning experience has been. It's worth it to persist. And, and I, like you, I've had students say to me, well, just tell me what the answer is. Tell me what to do. Right. And, and, and yes, you can have a slide that tells you what to do. That's fine. I don't want to say you can't do that, but it's really worth it for to getting them to put it in their own words. Yeah. Uh, because memorizing is one thing, but having it, understanding the concept is different. And, and so that's, that's part of the knowledge transfer. Okay. At, in, in, in a certain time of every course I teach, the if we really do a good job, if everybody's involved and they're engaged, then it starts to get more complicated. People go, well, wait a minute, that's I thought it was this. And then somebody else says, Yeah, I thought it was that, and you're telling me this. And the and they're and then I walk up to the chartboard and I draw what I call the confusion curve. And the confusion is C on on the y-axis and time on the x-axis. And mm -hmm. I say, we're in a course, and we're going to go up the confusion curve. And then there will come a point in the class where we start going down. And so just trust me on that. Because some of them get, people can get frustrated yep. if it gets confusing. And I say, well, that's part, that's part of the learning. If you're getting confused, that's a good it's sign. It's a good indicator. Yeah. It's a good indicator. Just want to mention that. Yeah, the hard part is is let's say you're doing this one to one with somebody. You're you're let's say uh, derating, and you're bringing this concept into a team. And the electrical engineers may have heard of it in school, but maybe not. And they're like, "What? What are you doing?" And there's some basic concepts. You uh, you select components that are more robust for various stresses and and um. You know, almost immediately there's, well, that takes more space and costs more. Why would we do this? And, and then it's, it's at part of that process for what we do as reliability folks is understanding where the resistance is coming from, but also it's, it's helping that other person under, get in a place where they want to be confused. <laughs> I think it's, yeah. and that's hard. It's not saying, oh, you should be confused now. That doesn't help. It's right. Once 
I mean, if I just say thou shalt do, you know, derating and create a, a, a bunch of, you know, uh, have the authority through management that it's imposed, it'll get done begrudgingly, but it's not really embedded into the system such that you can walk away from it, right? It's, it's only going to be done if you're checking. And it's kind of like the school and testing. We're going to check to see if you're doing this. And I don't like that culture because it's not, it won't grow. It won't improve. It won't get those questions from people saying, well, in this circumstance, what's the right trade-off of this, this, and this? If it's just follow the guideline and answer the test. I think the knowledge transfer part is part of where's the resistances, what's in it for them, where should they be asking questions and help them realize they need to ask those questions rather than just dictate it. And I, I think we some folks in some cases go, oh, no, that's, oh, I'm so frustrated, I'm just going to go do it for you. And they miss the opportunity to actually help somebody get through that confusion curve, for example. Uh, but I think there's a piece there that it also means that somebody needs to be willing to get confused. And that's tricky, I think. It is tricky. And a good, a really good instructor instills that or inspires the students to adopt that attitude. Mm -hmm. And that's the, like when I'm starting a class, I really, I just have a, a kind of a frank talk with the students that said, look, we can do this a couple of ways. I can stand up here and tell you a bunch of things and then you check the box and go out, or we can, have a dialogue and a learning opportunity. And I really try to get their, their uh, willingness mm -hmm. to, to up the bar in terms of it. Let me pose two scenarios. We've all been in a class. I remember this from college and everywhere else since. We've all been in a class where an instructor, basically they come up and they tell. They tell you what it is and then they walk away. Yep. And then I've been in other classes where it's a dialogue and there's a lot of learning going on. And, and so really this comes down to the objectives. And so I ask listeners or you, Fred, or anybody, what's the objective of teaching or instructing? And because instruction is a process, it's not just, whether you're with two people, one person or a class of 20, um, I try to avoid unless I'm doing a tutorial, more than 20, because mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of interaction when you get in a very large class. But what's the objective? And I used to think the objective was to get through the course material and, and you're done. Mm -hmm. But years ago, I adopted an objective of transferring the knowledge where every student understands the concepts. Now, that's a really difficult objective as yep. an instructor. Yep. Uh, but I, when I adopted that, then I would, if I see someone's not getting it, I'll spend a little more time with them after class or over lunch, or I'll, I'll change my pace. In other words, you're, you're mm -hmm. trying to get everybody to understand. And part of that objective changed my questioning from asking, que asking for questions. Like, anybody have a question here? And I completely changed it a few years ago to where I ask the students questions and go around the room and say, okay, uh, Bill, what's the definition of this in your own words? And then half 20 minutes later, Mary, how would you uh, 
address this kind of situation. And I would just go around the room and ask them rather than waiting for them to ask me. Well, I, uh, no, I, I refine that. I approach that a little bit differently is instead, and I learned it's a subtle difference. If you ask, um, all right, um, time for questions or anything like that, and you may or may not get any questions, right? Right. It depends. Large part, what we mentioned earlier is that, is it safe to ask questions? If you're like somebody we used to know that did seminars in Arizona, it would be, well, that's a silly question. You should have read my book. Uh, you know, then nobody's going to ask a question for the rest of the conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so you have to set up early that it's okay to ask questions. Oh, you know, that's a good point. Let, what, you know, what's a good way to, to rephrase that so that you get it? Does anybody else know a way uh, to go at, you know, what's would be another way to phrase that? Because maybe I'm not presenting it quite right. Um, is make it safe to ask clarifying questions or basic questions or, you know, or challenging type questions of, of why do you say that? What's the support for that? That's okay. Let's, that's, that's part of the process. Absolutely. But I think I the safety, yeah, the safety is a part of it. Now that the other way to do it is go, instead of saying, what are your questions? Kind of as a command, thou shalt ask questions now is, all right, there may be some questions in the room right now. Let's explore those. And it's mm-hmm. a completely different tone of voice. It's a different posture. It's a. It's not setting up as a quiz to invoke a grade school. You know, somebody's, all right, pop quiz. We're going to grade this. <laughs> you know, and everybody freezes. I think there's, there's still this other part. If the student is really there only for the grade or to get through it, their boss said they had to go, what do you do then? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you 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 have to inspire in some way, but it is hard. Yeah. The uh, uh, I I I don't I can tell I can tell pretty quickly which of the students are there for that reason, and uh, and I will work with them. I think to to me it's that there's a hybrid of the way I'm describing and the way you're describing, uh, where you, you I agree completely. You want to create that environment where it's safe uh, to ask questions, but I also go around the room, make sure I don't leave anybody out. In other words, oh, somebody yeah, yeah, hasn't yeah. asked a question, I will ask them questions yeah. because that's often the person who's just there to, to get the grade and I want to surface and give them a win. In other words, I want to give them their aha moment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, even though they didn't expect it. They didn't come yep. there with the idea of learning. They came there with the idea of a checkbox. I will, by questioning them, I'll kind of work towards that aha moment. So I, mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. both of them both techniques yeah. uh, may have value. Well, there's a whole bunch of other factors here. There's personality types, you know, and, and how people mm. learn. And there's, you know, I was researching that and there seems to be some debunking of, of different modes. People are visual learners or auditory learners and stuff. I, I don't know about that. Uh, there's, there's a lot to this topic. And I think in our short time here, we, we just scratched the surface, but it's, yeah. I think the, the is make it safe it's okay to to not quite get your knot tied correctly the first time uh, and then look for support as the student is, well, how would I do this better? How do I understand if this regression line is actually a good fit or not? It's good to ask those questions. And then if you're in a place where you have somebody that says, oh, look at it this way, or maybe do this different next time, or this is why we do this. This makes a difference in the bottom line of our company and customer satisfaction, and here's how it's connected. 
is, and this also makes your job easier because if you design this circuit correctly and robustly, you're not going to spend time on it next year trying to fix it because it doesn't work in the field as well as we expected. It's a good, oh. good summary, good yeah. summary, Fred. <laughs> so there's there's a lot to it, but part of it is it's a two way street. Both have to be uh, willing participants, and and I, I like the setting the objective. What are we doing this for? And um, so those are all good pieces of it. Now, if you're listening to this and you'd like to learn more about learning, <laughs> basically, or or teaching. Um, let us know. I think Carl and I could probably talk about this for another 15 or 20 episodes, but we'd like to hear what your questions are and what what areas you see as an issue or a struggle or or maybe a success story. Let us know. There's plenty of ways to do that um, over on ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. There's a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our about pages. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch with us. And we sincerely look forward to hearing from you on this topic or other topics on your mind. And so we'll, we'll wrap it up there, Carl. Hopefully, you know, I learned a few things. You always come up I, with this interesting structured way of approaching these things. And I learned a few things too, Fred. I think this is a work in progress. So oh yeah. great, great conversation. All right. Talk to you again soon, Carl. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.